I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions, and I want you to raise your hand if you think that is true of you. They're all going to start the same way. I want you to raise your hand if you think you are above average in this said category. So 50% is the the threshold of of people your age. Do you make that threshold of 50%? Be honest. Don't judge the person next to you if you think they're not. Just raise your hand for yourself, and let's see if you think you're above average in some areas. This one. Raise your hand if you think you are above average when it comes to athleticism. Athleticism. We got some athletes, just 50% when it comes to athleticism. Okay. Okay. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you think you are above average when it comes to being friendly. Friendly. We got some friendly faces. No, you're like, no, I'm mean. I'm going to keep my hand down. Anybody friendly? Okay. Most people raising their hand on that. Above average when it comes to being friendly. And Cozy's like, no, not me. I'm not friendly. Uh, How about this? Raise your hand if you are above average when it comes to maturity. Who thinks maturity? I'm above average. Comes to mature for my age. For my age. It's like, okay, yeah, I know like adults, but for my age, above average when it comes to maturity. A little, little flimsy on it. Some of the leaders are laughing. They're like, I'm keeping my hands down. Like, okay. Uh, you're just answering for yourself. We're not going to, no judgment here. How about this one? Who thinks they are above average when it comes to intelligence? An IQ test. We're giving you an IQ test. Who's above average when it comes to, more like book smarts. Book smarts. Above average comes to book smarts. Now the flip side of that, who thinks they're above average when it comes to street smarts? Street smarts. Yeah, like, you know, street smarts, like, uh, I'm not the, not the book time. Okay. All right. It seems like there's been about 50-50 split on all these. How about this one? Raise your hand, here's your hand if you think you're above average. If the category was, this is someone who is wise. If you think above average. No, I'm not saying for me. I'm saying raise your <laughs> Raise your hand if you think you're above average when it comes to being someone who is wise. Pretty interesting how... We ask these questions if we're going to say characteristics of ourselves, and we say, okay, I'm going to say what I think I'm above average in. I think most of the times we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. They did this survey once with a bunch of professors at, I believe it was the University of Nebraska. They said, do you think you're above average when it comes to teaching? And a majority, way more than 50%, said, oh yeah, I'm definitely above average when it comes to teaching ability. You know the statistics, obviously not more than 50% can be above average, hence being above average. Um, But when it comes to wisdom, for some reason, we say, okay, I mean, am I wise? Am I someone who is wise or is not? And I think just by way of trying to not be people who are arrogant or boastful, we're going to say, oh, I'm not going to raise my hand and say I'm I'm someone who is wise. But maybe inside your head, you think I am someone who is wiser than the person that I'm sitting next to, as you're like, Checking the people next to you, like, yeah, I'm probably wiser than these two people sitting next to me. It's like, probably a little, little, little wiser than that. Or maybe you're saying, oh, I don't think I'm wise at all. But the question I would ask you is, how do you know? What's the test? How do you know whether you're someone who is wise or not? I mean, athleticism, we could have you do like the president's, um, remember like the president's test that you had to do like in PE class? Anybody have to do that? Like, I think the president's is what it's called, or you were, I forget that test, like of athleticism, or like you had to like be able to touch your toes and stuff like that. And of course, you were like an athlete if you were able to touch your toes. It's like, what? Um, or we could give you an IQ test and say, okay, who's just raw intelligence there? But when it comes to wisdom, what is the test that tells us whether we are wise individuals or not? James chapter 3, verse 13, that we're going to study right now, is going to give us the answer of how we can be individuals who are wise. 
James 3. You guys there? Verse 13. If not, open there right now. Let's get the answer. You definitely want to know how you can become wise, especially if none of us in this room were willing to raise our hands and say, yeah, I'm someone who is just above average in terms of wisdom. Let's see how we can be people who are wise. What is the test? James 3, starting in verse 13. It starts kind of like a question that I asked you. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? It's kind of like what we just did. Hey, who thinks they're wise? Who thinks they have understanding? Raise your hand. Here's the, here's the test. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Say, so, hey, you think the test of wisdom is, okay, who knows the most? Who has the most stored up in their mind? Who knows the most about God's word? Who goes to, who has the godliest Christian parents who taught them a bunch of things, who's gone to the most church services, who's read the DBR the most, those people that have this head knowledge, that must be the test for wisdom, understanding, oh yeah, you think the scholars in the room are thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm wise, I'm understanding, the teachers, the profs, it says no, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, and saying, you want to know the real test of wisdom or not wisdom, it's your conduct. And what specifically do we look in conduct is this phrase, show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is translated sometimes different, different ways in Scripture. Sometimes it's translated meek, as you see in this passage, sometimes humility, sometimes gentleness. So there's this disposition that you are to have and is characteristic of someone who is wise. Kind of the contrast to that would be someone who's harsh, someone who's arrogant, someone who's a little boastful, as opposed to meekness, gentleness, humility. And that's how you demonstrate your wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if, on the flip side, you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Hey, if you're someone who's jealous of other people, bitter, which the other, there's only one other time that that term bitter is used in the Bible, and it's in the passage we just talked about, how a spring, does it pour forth fresh or salt water? That word for salt is what's conveyed here in terms of bitter. There's someone who's salty, um, maybe like someone who's jealous of other people. Someone else does something good, and you're, you're a little salty about it. You're not like celebrating with them. You're a little envious. You're not super happy about it. Selfish ambition, oh, only focused about yourself. Saying, hey, if you're someone who is bitter, someone who is jealous, someone who is selfish, don't claim to be a wise person because you're boasting and you're false to the truth. You're lying to the truth that you're a wise person because you're not if you're bitter, jealous, and selfish. Verse 15, this, referring to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, is not the wisdom that comes from God but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Saying, hey, there's wisdom that comes from God inside of how to be a real wise person, and then there's this other category of wisdom that comes from the world that says, hey, this is how you are a wise person. If you focus upon yourself, you are so self-centered, self-enamored, self-grandizing, all about me, 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 that's how you get to the top. That's how you become a powerful, a successful, a wealthy individual. That's the wisdom of this world. Man, just focus on yourself, and man, you're going to be wise because you're going to be way better off. Scripture says, hey, that's not the wisdom that comes from God, but earthly, unspiritual, not concerned with spiritual matters, demonic, not from God, but actually from Satan. 
wrongful thinking. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, where that runs rampant, guess what? There's going to be disorder and every vile practice. So for disorder, make, make you think of, think of like rebellion or like an insurrection of sorts. Like there's chaos taking place where people are just so focused upon themselves. They're jealous of other people. They're envious of others. And all they care about is me, 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 me. While the world says, yeah, follow your heart. Whatever you want to do, yeah, go at it. It's all about you. Scripture says that's not real wisdom. That's actually foolishness. Point number one, write it down this way. You need to admit that self-centeredness is foolish. It's foolish. Being all about yourself, jealous of other people because they got something that you didn't get, they have some quality that you don't have and you get frustrated. You care about me, 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 me. God says that's not wise. That's earthly wisdom, not godly wisdom. And why self-centeredness is so foolish or someone who is prideful has kind of come together, self-centeredness, a pride, someone who has a big ego is you look all throughout Scripture of people who were self-centered, see people who were prideful, who only focused on themselves, and people with big egos, God humbled hardly in Scripture all the time. People thought greatly of themselves. God says, yeah, you think you're so great. Guess what? I'm going to humble you. Think of some examples book of Exodus, who am I going to say? Let my people go. Who is it? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Someone who had a big ego? Someone who made himself almost to be God? God says, let my people go. (laughs) Who is your God? God of Israel? Think you're all great? You have these plagues, these miraculous plagues that take place, and yet still the hardness of his own heart to say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Whatever I think is good, that's what I'm pursuing. Was Pharaoh humbled? I mean, he was humbled pretty hard at the end of his life when he was pursuing them through the Red Sea. And as the people of Israel pass through, miraculously, as God splits it open and they go to pursue and God closes it up on the Egyptians. Talk about a humiliation, a striking down. Yeah, you think you're all that, Pharaoh? Let me show you who it's really all about. How about this? Goliath? Goliath? You know, he was not just mocking the Israelites of like, oh man, I think I'm better than other people, but he was mocking God. He said, oh yeah, send out, send out someone to fight me. Your God's not going to protect you. I'm going to show that our God is superior. Superior. Goliath thought he was great. I mean, if you just looked at him physically, he was someone that looked pretty intimidating. It'd be like you trying to take like, Shaq, seven-foot Shaq, one-on-one in basketball. It's like, it's not looking very good. And it's like, oh, Goliath, oh, yeah, looking at myself. I'm so strong, I'm so big. I got all this armor on. I'm dominant. God says, I'm going to humble you, Goliath, for blaspheming the name of God, thinking you're so awesome, you're so powerful. How about this? Maybe another example, Scripture, Jonah. Jonah. God tells Jonah, hey, go this way. Jonah says, ah, I know better. I'm going this way. <laughs> I don't want to do what you want, God. I'm going to go the opposite direction of what you say because I don't want to listen to you. Well, what happens? God says, oh, yeah, you think you're, you're cute going the other way? Yeah, here comes a, a storm while you're, while you're in this boat. 
And as they draw lots to figure out, man, who causes harm upon you? Of course, it's going to be Jonah, and they throw him off the boat. God says, oh yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a giant fish swallow you. You're going to be alive inside this fish, and I'm going to spit you to the place that I told you to go because I told you you're going to go this way, and you're not going to disobey. I mean, was Jonah humbled? Could you imagine being in the belly of a fish? Like, <laughs> disgusting. Humbled. Even that, it didn't... He goes and preaches to Nineveh, and then he gets upset and frustrated when those people repent and they put their trust in Christ, and, or they put their trust in God, they follow after him, and, they, and Jonah gets frustrated. Oh, man, they were so sinful. I'm so displeased that God showed favor. And once again, God says, who are you to think that you're the one in charge of this whole thing? I'm going to show mercy on who? I'm going to show mercy on. Some examples, Pharaoh, who was humbled, Goliath, Jonah. There's another Old Testament example I want you to turn to in the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel. We meet this king starting off in the early chapters of Daniel. Specifically, we're going to focus on chapters 2 through 4. This, guy, this king, think about it, he was the ruler of the world power of the time, Babylon. Babylon was like, if you say there's one dominating country, or if there was one overarching kingdom at the time, Babylon was it. Just had gone on a, uh, a conquest of kind of taking over the scene the Syrians were in charge before them, but here comes Babylon, is the world power. And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man alive at his time, he thinks he's all that. He thinks he's great. Well, in chapter 2, he has this dream that he doesn't know, what does this dream mean? He calls this guy that you know, the name of the book is after, he calls this guy named Daniel. Daniel is able to interpret this dream. And Rightly, Daniel says, hey, he gives credit to God. It was God who gave me the interpretation of the dream. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, praise God, praise God. And he gives glory to God. Oh, man, did he finally realize that, that maybe God's the more significant one than him? No, because chapter 3, what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar's, what does it say, the heading, golden image. What does he do? Creates this golden image says, hey, everyone, bow down to this golden image. Talk about a big ego right there. I'm going to build a statue of me, and everyone's got to bow down to this statue. <laughs> Could you imagine if like, one of your friends at school was like, guys, I'm bringing to school tomorrow for show and tell a golden statue I made of myself, and you have to bow down to it. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> what is crazy guy? Like, thinks he's all about himself. It's like, that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Like, literally, he just had God revealed the message of this dream to him, and still he thinks it's all about himself. You know, all that. Well, what happens in that story, you know? Some individual is not willing to bow the knee to the statue, and he says, consequences are you're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. By the power of God, these people who um, are thrown into it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into it, and they don't burn up. Yet, how is that possible? Well, God makes it so that they don't burn up in this fire. And they come out, and King Nebuchadnezzar's shocked, and he's, wow, the only way that this is possible for you to survive is there, there's someone there that your God is a true God that made you to way to get the escape out of here. Now you think, okay, finally, Nebuchadnezzar, this was time number two. 
that you got to see a glimpse of God's power, that he's significant and you're way lesser. Did you finally get it, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, then we get to chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar has another dream again, and he's not sure what this dream is. And I want us to read a little bit about this dream. Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. Look at Daniel 4, verse 5. It says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. King Nebuchadnezzar's afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Drop down to verse 8. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, here's the dream. O Belteshazzar, another name for Daniel, it's his Babylonian name, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. Tell me what this dream means. Well, what's the dream? Here it is. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. Picture this massive tree. The tree grew, became strong, and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the ends of the earth, this massive tree. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. It's like it's a massive tree. So, like the entire earth could see it. All these animals came, really powerful tree. Verse 13 goes on. I saw in the vision, visions of my head, so this dream, as I lay in bed and behold a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip, of, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. So this powerful, big, massive tree is what he dreams of. And then all of a sudden, this massive tree gets chopped down. Chopped down, smitten. King Nebuchadnezzar is like, what is this dream about? Well, Daniel reveals to him that what this dream is, hey, you want to know who that powerful, big old tree? That, that's characteristic of you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You got this powerful kingdom. You think you're the one in charge? Well, you know what's going to come? God's going to chop you down. He's going to smite you down. You're going to be humbled before God. That happens. Let's keep reading. Daniel chapter 4, look at, Verse 29, it says, at the end of 12 months, so one entire year later, probably he had forgotten about the dream at this point, thinking, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Thanks, thanks, Daniel, a year ago. That's not great. He looks around. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So picture this massive palace that the most powerful ruler at the time is in charge of, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's there on it, looking around at, at, at the kingdom. Verse 30, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? It says, look at how great I am. It's me who built this great kingdom for my glory. And it says right there, for the glory of my majesty, I'm so great. Look at these next few words, verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth. So as he's saying this, boasting about himself, there fell a voice from heaven. 
O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You're going to lose this kingdom. You shall be driven from among men. You're going to be cast out. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You're going to live with animals. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You're going to eat like the food that animals eat. And seven periods of time shall pass, seven years, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. What happens to him? Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Picture this dude. Nebuchadnezzar, the top dog, most powerful individual at the time. Boasting in himself, thinking he's all that. And God says, you know what? For seven years, you're going to be a crazy man who lives with the animals and who has hair that grew as long as eagle's feathers. Picture this, crazy looking guy, long hair, and nails like bird's claws. It's a crazy dude. For seven years, God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar until finally, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And Nebuchadnezzar finally realized, it's not about me. It's not about me. Think I'm so great? I'm not that great. You think I'm the one in charge? I'm not in charge. He praises God. Keep reading. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Everything that lives on the earth, guess what? It's like nothing. And God, he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's finally humbled. And he finally realizes, in the end of verse 37, he says, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I mean, he was humbled greatly by God. And I think the more that we ponder and think about the greatness of God, the more we're going to say this life is not about me. I'm not so great. I'm not as significant as I think I am. Let's do a quick flyover of some of the characteristics of God and compare it to us. God, creator of all things. Think of the majesties of creation. Mount Everest. The depths of the sea that we've yet to even discover the galaxies that are millions of light years apart, like the vastness of creation. Yeah, you know how Scripture describes it? It's being like in the palm of his hand. Created all those things. It's like, well, what have we created recently? Well, I made lunch yesterday for school. It's like (laughs) some of us can't even create lunch for school the next day. It's like God created everything, you and I the vastness of creation, to the details of each single cell in our body and the things that make up those cells. Created all of it. God is sovereign. He's in charge. He is the authority. There's not one single thing that takes place that God is caught off guard with. Like, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. Really? Whoa, did that happen? What? In charge, ruler of everything. Some of us aren't even in charge of what we're going to have for lunch today. (laughs) 
Our mom and dad gets to decide that for me. How about this? God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows all things, not only things that happen, but all possibilities of things that could have happened. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21 talks about that, that even the possibilities of things that aren't actualities, he knows. Think about all that knowledge. I mean, there's a reason that we have to Google things like every five minutes, every like 30 seconds, oh, YouTube it, quick, what, what is this, what is it? It's like, because we don't know. There's so many things that we are, are not sure about, and God knows it. How about this, omnipotent? God can do anything that doesn't contradict his nature, anything. Think of the power of God to make mountains, and we compare that to our power, it's like I see some of you guys struggling to lift up two of these chairs to put them on the, the chair carts. <laughs> it's like nudging your life out. It's like, man, like we're so weak compared to God. Talk about is God being omnipresent, everywhere present. Some of us aren't even present in the places we are present because our mind's elsewhere. God is eternal. When did God start existing? He was always existing. How about us? Our life on this earth is very finite, very short, goes quick. Job 12.10, a great verse. In his hand, God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Think about it. You and I, us who live, we're in the palm of his hand. He's in charge. He can take our life at any single moment. He's the one in charge of it. Are you the one who controls? Oh, I'm... I'm going to keep living or not. No. And the pride of when people do take their own lives, that's going against and saying, I'm God. God's not God who gets to decide when my life begins and ends. Are you thankful that you decided when you decided to, to start living? You, you grateful for that you got to decide which house you were born into? You grateful to decide that you were going to live here in, in wealthy Southern California? It's like, I didn't decide that. None of us decided that. Who did? God. Compare us, us down here to God, far superior. It's about him. And yet we like to think we're the main character of the story. Now we're, yeah, it's really just all, it, our, our lives and everyone's just living in, in, in the story about us. It's like maybe you've seen these like TikTok influencers that go around in public places and they film these, um, these TikTok videos in in like, as if there's no one else around them. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's like, I saw one where someone was literally blocking traffic because they were in the middle of this intersection walkway and they were like dancing around. It's like traffic stopped and some person's lying on the ground trying to film. And it's like the, the pride of this person to think that like you can just stop traffic of everyone just so you could film this like 15 minute or 15 second video is like the arrogance of these people. I like watch it, and I'm like, you are such a prideful individual. You think it's all about you. Or someone's filming a video, and someone walks in front of the camera, and it's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to film right here. It's like, all about you. And yet, maybe we think, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, those people are self-centered, but we need to see the pride in our own lives. Where do you see pride in, in your life? You ever sit in class and teacher starts teaching on something, you say, I already know all this. Maybe you walk into a sermon and say, I already know all this. 
If you start reading scripture, oh, I've read this passage before, I already know all this. A know-it-all attitude is a, is a great example of pride. Someone asks you to do something and you think that task is beneath you, it's pride. You talk about yourself or think about yourself all the time. You think more about others or yourself. Pride, self-centeredness. Do you think you're better than others? Are you always critical of other people? Are you obsessive over your physical appearance, how you appear? That's pride, self-centeredness. Do you listen and respect authority? If not, you are a selfish individual and you cannot claim to be a wise person. Because scripture would say, jealousy, bitterness, selfish ambition, it's not a wise individual. Daily remember your position and the position of God. Either you're going to be humbled by God one day, either in this life or in the next, although you'd rather be humbled in this life than wait until eternity, but you'd rather willingly humble yourself than have God humble you. Remember, someone said something along the lines of, when we stand before the Lord, all of us are going to be kneeling before him, some by choice and others by force, because God's going to break the kneecaps of those who aren't willing to, to bow the knee to him. Everyone's going to bow the knee. Would you rather do it willfully or by being humbled by the Lord? I think we know the answer to that question. Well, the worldly wisdom is going to say, be self-centered, make this life all about you. Next, James 3, verse 15 and 16 says, this is not the wisdom that comes from above. This, this wisdom of, oh, just make life all about you. It's all about me. No, that, that wisdom, which is, is, a, is a joke because it's not real wisdom, it's earthly, just focused on this life, here and now. Unspiritual, which is not thinking about spiritual things. Demonic, that's in, in contrast to wisdom that comes from above. So from God, no, it's demonic. It comes from demons, it's evil. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You're selfish, you're jealous, bitter of other people, comes so many other consequences. Why is that wisdom so wrong? It just focuses here on the here and now. Point number two, live with eternity in mind. Live with eternity in mind. Think about how quickly time flies. It goes so fast. I don't know if, You've ever had this situation, but I can think of a couple times in my life um, where I was like really looking forward to something. I remember as a family, we would go once a year to Disneyland. You'd be like counting down the days of like, oh, Disneyland's coming, Disneyland's coming. And I remember in the moment of whatever that exciting thing, maybe for you it's revival or um, some big, maybe you're going to a show upcoming or some exciting thing that you've got in the future, going to a game, whatever it is, and you're there at that thing that's supposed to be so exciting. And you just think about like, oh man, Here's, here's the time that we're at, this exciting thing. And I remember being there at Disneyland and being like, okay, I'm really excited right now. Now think about that one second. It's now gone. Well, now I'm really excited right now. Second's gone. Now. Now it's gone. Like, how quickly that goes. It's like, oh yeah, you're so excited maybe to like, for one hour to like, I don't know, if you're going somewhere for one hour, it's like, man, how quickly those minutes go by. It's like, well, it's over. Like, then you're back home and you're like, wow, 
Disneyland, that went by so fast. Whatever that exciting thing, I'm trusting you've been at things and you're like, man, that went so quickly. I think I was just thinking how quickly time flies. Is man, there's something beyond this life. Something bigger. Eternity. Don't get caught up with this earth. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, you know what it talks about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. And it goes on to say, and the world is passing away. It's like a vapor. It goes really quick. I remember being in junior high. It goes so quick. I remember being in high school. Man, that feels like 10 years ago now. It goes so quick. Do you guys remember being in first grade? Remember being in first grade? How long ago does that feel? Maybe some of you, it's like, oh, it feels like yesterday. Others like, it feels like 20 years ago, being in first grade. Did edge go by quick, fifth and sixth? Did that go fast? It's like, Maybe sometimes in school, it's like, man, I wish it felt like it was going forever. Like, I wish it was feeling like it was going fast because, man, these teachers are going on forever. But sometimes those ex- things that we think are so exciting and so awesome, those go by so quickly. Something bigger, something better. You know who's a great example of an individual who was not just focused in this life? Paul. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, he writes some of these letters while he's in prison, including this one. Now, think about it. Paul's in prison. What might he be concerned about while he's in prison? If you were in prison, what would you be thinking? How can... How can I get out of prison? Like, <laughs> prison kind of sucks. I don't like the food um, by myself. Don't, it's like, I want to get out of prison. That's what my focus is. Um, Philippians 3, look at verse 20. You know what he's thinking about? Philippians 3.20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Think about heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Rather than saying, oh man, I'm just so focused on, on prison right now. It's awful. Can I get out of prison? And he's like, man, heaven's going to be so great. Heaven's going to be so awesome. There's another passage where he's He's praying while he's in prison, and you think, oh man, I, I bet he's praying for to get out of prison. And you know what he actually prays for? An open door for the gospel to be shared for him. He's not praying for open prison doors, he's praying for open gospel doors to take place. What a eternal mindset that he had while he's in prison. He's thinking about, man, how can I advance the gospel? Because you know what really matters? Eternity. You know what really matters? People being right with God or not. I'm going to keep my focus on heaven because that's going to help me live how I ought to here and now. Some of you in this room don't think about eternity at all. You're just focused on, oh man, the, the, the friends that you have, just whatever I feel like doing today. You don't think about the end life. You're so caught up with this world. Being considered cool at school. Being the 
the rebel kid going after material possessions. Oh man, I just want to be a wealthy person. I just want to be the professional athlete because man, that's going to be so cool if I, I want to win the Super Bowl one day. It's going to be so great. It's like, guess what? Whoever wins the Super Bowl today, it doesn't really matter. It's like, oh great, have fun watching the Super Bowl today. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's like, oh, it's super excited. It's like, but really? I mean, it does matter to God in the sense of, man, he wants us to do all things for the glory of God. And so people that are glorifying God while playing those games, that matters. But really, who wins and who loses? Uh, who cares, really? This is coming from a guy who loves sports. It's not just like, oh, yeah, Nathan just hates sports. No, I, I love playing sports. But really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. How much money you have in this life doesn't matter. The followers you have on social media doesn't matter. You know what matters? Ultimately, whether you are right with God or not. If you haven't, you're still making this life all about you. There's a parable that Jesus gives of the sower. You remember this parable? Where he's tossing different seed, which is characteristic of the gospel, to different soils, which characterize different responses to the gospel. And one response in particular, it seems like, man, this, this person responded rightly. This person's a, a Christian. And maybe for a period it seemed like, oh man, this person seemed to be doing the Christian thing. But then we see this person isn't, wasn't really a Christian, didn't really respond rightly because they're still concerned with something that they shouldn't be concerned about. Matthew 13, 22, it says, as what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, so grows up in Sunday school, hears the word. Maybe it seems, oh, maybe made a profession of faith at one time. Maybe went to revival and said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or says in small, yeah, I'm a Christian. But guess what? But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Some of you in this room aren't right with God because you are concerned with the cares of this world. Some of you are professing Christians, but really are not right with God because what you're so concerned about is the here and now. You care more about yourself, what you want to do, if other people find me cool. With the things that, that kids do at school that are considered cool, what they indulge in, the things that they drink, the things that they partake in, that's what I'm really concerned about. Have you ever been to the beach before and, and seen a kid uh, build the sandcastle? Seen a kid uh, right, right by where the shores break, and he's working really hard on building the sandcastle. He's like putting all this work. And like, there's like a little kid, and you're like, oh, it's so cute. He's building the sandcastle. And then like five minutes go by, and then a wave comes and smashes this kid's sandcastle. Then what does he do? He goes back and starts building the same castle right next to the water again. He's building it again, and five minutes later, what comes? So water comes and smacks this kid's sandcastle. What does he do? Oh, it goes back to building this sandcastle. And it's like, like, dude, when are you going to realize that a sandcastle is not going to last? Like, good work. Like, I get it. You're working hard on it. But man, it's, it's, it's going to be destroyed. That's the picture of us when we get so focused on the here and now, building our own kingdom whether it's our ego of, I want to be made great, I want other people to like me, I want to be popular, I want to be considered successful by the world standards, you're like that kid building a sandcastle, and man, it's just going to get destroyed. 
then what? You just wasted your entire life pursuing what didn't really matter. But the wisdom of the world is going to say, make this life all about yourself. That was point one. Make it all about you. Second, they're going to say, live like this world is all that there is. Correction from Scripture is, it's not about you. This world isn't all that there is. That's what wisdom knows and lives accordingly. Because you can say, oh yeah, I know it's not about me, and I know that there's eternity in mind, but do you live like that's true? That's true wisdom, because it's not by your head knowledge, it's by your conduct. Do you live like it's all about you, and do you live like there is uh, no afterlife? Because I think most of us in the room would agree, yeah, it's, it's really about God, there is an eternity, but we don't live like it. If you don't live like it, you're not a wise person. Think about the next life more regularly. I probably said this um, example before, but Jonathan Edwards wrote some resolutions as a young person of saying, this is what I'm going to be resolved to do, and I love this one. It says, resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. It's like, hey, you know what I'm going to spend more time thinking about my dying. It's like, Jonathan, you're kind of weird. Don't want to hang around with you. I'm just thinking about death all the time. And even this one, of, of the circumstances which attend death. It's like the different circumstances that cause people to die. It's like, I want to think about that more often. It's like if you were like, man, you know what I'm going to be resolved to do this year? To attend as many funerals as I can. It's like, what? Kind of weird. Like, why do you want to go to all these funerals? It's like, why does he want to think about death all the time? Because it's going to help him live, live now as he would hope he would have done when he died. Saying, what really matters? That's one of the great benefits of, I don't know if you had the opportunity, and it sounds kind of weird to say, like, opportunity to go to a funeral, because it's a, it's a somber event, but it reminds us, man, life goes by so quickly. It goes fast. Live in light of eternity. Let's finish up James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, is it the person who makes life all about themselves? No. Is it the person who says this life is all there is? No. It's rather this person whose conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Someone who is meek. Someone who is not harsh, not rude, not, a, not self-grandizing. Someone who is humble. We need people who are humble. And who's the ultimate example of humility? Jesus Christ. Point number three, learn humility from Christ. Learn humility from Christ. Philippians chapter two is a great example of the humility of Christ, which once again, the book of Philippians, written by this guy named Paul, who's in prison. And what is his focus on? Eternity, advancing the gospel, and Jesus. That's what he's thinking about. And in Philippians 2, he talks about the humility of Christ. First thing he notices or he mentions is him emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. That Jesus was up there in heaven without no sin, no wrongdoing taking place. And what did he say? I'm willing to come down and put on human flesh. I'm going to experience what it's like to live in a sinful world. 
didn't have to do that. He's going to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Talk about the humility. He, he didn't want to go through these things. Even you see when Jesus is praying on the Mount of Olives, he says, uh, God, if it be your will, let this, pass, or let this cup pass from me. The, his death, he said, I don't want to go through this. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to submit himself to the will of the Father. You say, yeah, I don't feel like going through this right now, but guess what? I'm going to go through this for the sake of other people. An others-focused mindset. You can think of an example of John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. How such a humiliating thing to do. You know, Jesus could have walked into the room and said, hey, disciples, you know what I want all of you guys to do right now? Wash my feet. And would that be like a, a wrong request of God to make? It's like, no, <laughs> he's God. Jesus is God. He could have walked in and said, you know, everybody, bow down, worship me, praise me, wash my feet, serve me. And we wouldn't be able to be like, oh, well, yeah, God shouldn't have requested that. That's kind of selfish of him for God to do it. It's like, no, by him nature of being God, it's all about him. But yet he said, you know, I'm going to demonstrate for these disciples who are trying to say, oh, who's the greatest? Can I be the greatest? Can I be the greatest? And I'm going to show to them what it looks like really to be great in this world and give them a tactical example of washing their gross, dirty feet, scrubbing between the toes, stinky disciples' feet, who are about to abandon him when he gets arrested. Think about that who shortly after, one of them betrays him, the other ones abandon him, Peter denies even following Christ. It's like, you're going to serve these guys? He says, yes. Greatest among you will be the servant. Learn humility from the example of Christ. One final verse, Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23, I'll read it. You don't need to turn there unless you're really fast, but I'm going to read right now. So Jeremiah 9, 23, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. It says, hey, if you're someone who is wise, don't boast in being wise. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Hey, you're, you're strong. You're a mighty person. Don't boast. Don't think you're great because you're might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. You got a lot of money? It's like probably most of us like, no, we don't got much money. We're... Like, family's got a lot of money. It's, don't boast. Don't think you're all that because of your riches. Verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this. Take pride in this, that he understands and knows me. You want something to boast in? Something to take pride in? Not your wealth, not your riches, not your greatness. You should boast that, man, I got a relationship with the Lord. It's nothing about me, because once again, it's his grace, his mercy. Ephesians 2.8, grace was saved, not of our own doing. But man, that's what it's about right there. That I am known by God. He knows me. My name is written in the book of life. I've abandoned this self-centered lifestyle. It's all about me, and I've submitted to Christ as the authority and one in charge of my life. Because I know in eternity, that's what matters.
If you haven't done that, you need to do that. Pastor Mike brought up the point. If you delay, if you say, oh, I'm going to do that another time, guess what? You don't know when that opportunity is going to close. Don't delay putting off getting right with God. And if you are right with God, He has saved you. You've put your trust and your confidence in Him. Live out the humility that Christ has shown in His life. Be humble before God by saying, your will, not mine. What you say goes. What Scripture says, I'm going to follow. And be humble before others. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. But sacrificially serve those around you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kindness that you were willing to humble yourself to make a way for us even to be saved. We know it's so tempting for us to be caught up with ourselves, caught up with this world, and what the culture wants us to promote, what the culture wants us to think is good, and go after those things. Help us first to understand what our life is really about, which is about you, that our life is bigger than this world, that even though we were brought into existence, that even once we are taken out of this world, we're not, we don't cease to exist. God, help us to live lives that are focused on you, that are centered on you, ones that are not consumed with the things of this world, but are concerned with the things of heaven. Help us not to be prideful once we know those things, but to live in humility towards others. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.